The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Happy New Year, you guys. I'm so happy to be back with you guys. We took a little break over Christmas because your girl needed a break. And it's all about knowing when I need that and then taking the action to make it happen. I was going to put four episodes out in December and then I was like, you know what? No, we're not doing that. We're not hustling like that anymore. We are following our bliss and figuring out what works for us. Maybe that will be my January 2022 resolution, following our bliss, doing what feels good. I hope you guys had a good holiday season. Mine was pretty great. It came with some tears and some fights, but we made it through it and here we are. So this will be a QA and a episode. You guys submitted questions and I'm here to answer. The most requested story time question was the Doja Cat story. Everybody wants to know how I know Doja Cat. (laughs) And honestly, what's so interesting is that up until a few weeks ago, I didn't even know that I knew Doja Cat. So I figured that I will start this episode answering your most asked question. And so let's go back to Alexis at, hmm, how old would I have been? Maybe 10 or 11? Yeah. So I've talked about this before on the podcast, how we were kind of like the lower income family in an upper middle class neighborhood, right? I grew up in the suburbs right outside of Los Angeles. And that's when I initially met Doja Cat, aka Amala. And what happened was my mom was kind of like the outcast. If you guys listen to the episode she was on in November, I tell some hilarious holiday stories and just stories of my mother's parenting in general. She joins me on the podcast. It's a great episode. But we were kind of the outcasts of the community and nobody really liked us. My mom had like life-size Buddhas in the house. It always smelled like sage, which everyone thought was pot. Pot was there too, but (laughs) it was mostly sage and incense. We always had music like blasting through the house and it wasn't, you know, it was like Alanis Morissette, right? And Pink Floyd. My mom was a total hippie living in the suburbs where most people are pretty fucking conservative. And that's when Amala, her brother Raman and her mother Deborah moved in across the street from us. And Deborah... Amla's mother was my mom and her mom were like two peas in a pod, right? They found they found their tribe and they <laughs> they ran with it. And Deborah was a member at the ashram, which 
um, if anyone doesn't know, is like a communal living, holy space for people who practice Hinduism. And there was one, it, it no longer exists in Canaan on the way down to Malibu. If anyone knows the Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles area, then most people know Canaan Road, right? It's the road that takes you from the valley to the beach. So Deborah was a member of that ashram. My mom was a Buddhist. She was not Hindu. She practiced Buddhism and also like new age thinking. And my mom's entire garage at her house was filled with like, she was the original like OG biohacker. So she had like huge crystals and all of these different like crazy machines that did a million different things. And her and Deborah just like really hit it off. Deborah was a single mom. My mom was a single mom. I think she was just getting together with my stepdad, Jerry, at the time. And yeah, we, our family kind of became fast friends. We spent a lot of time together. And eventually when I turned 11 or 12, I began babysitting the younger kids. So I was the oldest. Raman, Amala's brother, was the second oldest. Then it was Gabby. And then Amala was like the baby. And this little girl could not have been fucking cuter. Could not have been cuter. She was such a little angel, like the brightest light ever. And I just adored her. I mean, she was just so lovable. And Gabby and her became really close friends. And Gabby has great memories of her, as do I. And I don't want to share too much of her story because I feel like that's her story to tell. I will just briefly describe kind of like the environment and kind of what ended up transpiring to when they moved away. So we camped together. We went and stayed at the ashram together. We we did school pickup and drop off and I babysat for the kids. Like I said, Alma's mom was uh, a single mother. I don't believe her father was in the picture at all. And I know that there was struggles being the only Really, I'm telling you guys, they were like one of two black families in the entire community. And not only that, but Deborah was an incredible mother, but she was white and their dad was not in the picture. And she, I will say Deborah was a badass. Like she really went to bat for her kids. And even though I'm sure that there were the struggles that come with being a single mom, I think Deborah did an amazing job taking care of her kids. And so, yeah, you know, there there were lots of amazing memories and moments and time together. And I adored that kid so much. She always held like a special place in my heart. Her brother, Raman, though, I don't know how to say this. He was just, he was a challenging kid and there's nothing wrong with that. I empathize with him. I was also a challenging kid. Um, I think that, you know, he was just going through it and there were some struggles that like basically led me to get to the point where it's like, I can't, I can't babysit for your kids anymore. So that kind of ended that. And then shortly thereafter, they moved out of the community and I haven't heard anything since, but I've thought about them on and off as you do when you're just like reflecting on your childhood and thinking about 
um, those memories. What's so interesting about how this all transpired, though, and about how I figured out that Amala was now Doja Cat, <laughs> which is so wild because love her music so much. My kids and I rock out to her in the car all the time. Dakota's favorite song is Woman. Can you imagine my little five-year-old in the back dancing and singing Woman? It's amazing. And Harper uh, loves Kiss Me More. (laughs) It's so cute to see them figuring out. Like I remember being a kid in the 90s and early 2000s and like loving Spice Girls. And now here are my kids loving Doja Cat. So I'm driving my kids through my old community, the little townhouse that I grew up in. And I'm going down memory lane. Like I'm thinking about Amla and her family. I'm thinking about my best friend, Gabby, who's still one of my best friends to this day. And I'm telling the kids, you know, the like the story of my childhood across the street was my elementary school and whatever else. Didn't think anything of it. Two days later, I get an email from Rolling Stone magazine and I get weird emails all the time. I've gotten emails from like Sony pictures and they're, and it's legit. They're like, I want to buy the rights to your book. Nothing ever happens. Lots of like podcast requests, emails from like Spotify or so-and-so magazine or comment on this or, you know, let's pitch a show. I get tons of these emails and most of the time I don't check them for a hot minute, but for whatever reason, I was like, okay, I'm going to open this email. So I opened this email and it said, hi, Alexis, this is insert head reporter over at Rolling Stone magazine. We are doing a profile piece on Doja Cat and we would like some commentary as she says that you babysat her for a number of years and that you were the one who introduced her to like rap music on MySpace, which kind of led to her dream of becoming an artist. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) I babysat Doja Cat? I'm like, no, I did not. And so I quickly switch over to Safari and I open up my browser and I type in Doja Cat real name and there it is. And I'm like, holy shit, what a fucking small world. How crazy is that? So long story short, yeah, I used to babysit Doja Cat and look at her now. So fucking proud of you if you ever hear this. Like, I again, I don't want to disclose like the challenges that she's had to overcome or talk about her experience, but I just really like, I just know how much she's overcome. And it's, you know, I believe in the, in the interview, she talks about briefly about like how her past affected her or in the ways in which um, she's dealt with it. And I just, I just want to say that keep fucking shining girl. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, so proud of you. And I am so happy for you. And I wish you nothing but the very best. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about a new movie coming out this month, Redeeming Love. If you're a fan of romantic movies and love films with beautiful cinematography, then you're going to love Redeeming Love in theaters January 2022. Based on the international best-selling novel by Francine Rivers, the movie takes place during the California gold rush of 1850 and follows the life of Angel, who was the most notorious 
notoriously sought-after woman in the Sierra Nevada foothills of a town called Paradise. Right as she's about to give up on finding freedom, Angel meets Michael and encounters a love unlike anything she's ever experienced. But shame from her past causes Angel to run away from the very thing she's always wanted. As Michael sets out to find her, Angel discovers that there is no brokenness that love can't heal. Redeeming love featuring Abigail Cohen, Tom Lewis, Nina Dobrev, Eric Dane, Famke Jansen is rated PG-13 and premieres January 21st in theaters nationwide. So bring your friend or even your significant other to see Redeeming Love. For more information or to find tickets to a theater near you, visit redeeminglove.com. That's redeeminglove.com. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I love this one. I feel like we've been talking about sex a lot on the podcast lately, but I feel very fucking liberated right now. And I guess I want to say that that sex and mental health, they go hand in hand, honestly. Like, I really do believe that when we are sexually repressed, it affects our psyche and our overall well-being. And so I think turning 30 really made me reflect on uh, who I am as a woman and what I want for my life. Like this 28, 29 and into 30 It's really like just like owning it, that divine feminine, the balance with the divine masculine. And I think that I operated for a long time in my masculine and really didn't acknowledge or fully embrace or allow my divine feminine to show up. And now that I've cleared out the blockages that I had, the subconscious belief systems that I had formed around sex in my body and my desires, we are liberated and we are having like the best sex of our entire lives. And I've brought this up on the podcast before, like fully spiritual experiences while having sex, which is amazing. Justine asks, do I have any sex kinks? And the answer is fuck yeah, don't we all? (laughs) And you know what? Mine are like ever evolving and changing too, which is really, really weird because I, as I've been exploring, things have been changing. So we got to this place because once again, I felt this like this longing to be with women. And I've, I've talked about how like, I just really hate labels I really do can't really stand the labels and I don't feel like I really fit into any one category. And I've briefly touched on this on social media, but it's like, and this, this is the prequel to my kink answer. Okay. I love women. We know this. I talk about it all the time. As a whole, I don't like men. 
but individual men occasionally. But not emotional intimacy with men outside of Evan, just because I don't feel like men are safe enough to be emotionally intimate with. I heard this amazing thing the other day that like rings so true is that men use women's emotional labor, especially in monogamous relationships, to up-level themselves instead of going to a therapist. And they move on relationship to relationship, leaving each woman more and more damaged or hurt until they become like the better version of themselves. And I was like, yeah, that, that rings true to me for sure. Thank God I have boundaries now. But yeah, women as a whole, ooh, love women. I don't care if you're masculine, androgynous, feminine, non-binary. Yeah. Men? Mm, no, a man, sure. Sure. Yeah, we can get we can get down with a man sometimes. But like I just really like being with women. So kinks. <laughs> I'm definitely a switch. Like I love to be basically beaten up. <laughs> I love to have my ass slapped. I like to be choked. I like to have my hair pulled. I like to be bitten. I like to be sucked on. I like to be tied up. I like it all. I also like to choke and slap <laughs> and all of the things and to be really dominant. And I think, uh, hmm, am I going to share this or am I not going to share this? I'm going to share this. Wow. This is, this is fucking vulnerable. Okay. I recently, it, this is a funny story. So Chris, Evan, and I were in the kitchen one night really late. We had already put the kids to bed. And we were talking about like our dirty, our like pleasure porn. Like, what is it? <laughs> you know that porn that you you watch, but you're fucking embarrassed to say? Okay, I won't disclose theirs, but I'll be vulnerable enough to disclose mine. So the porn that I've been watching for, I don't even know, since I was a teenager, it's like dominating and beating up men. <laughs> and I know why, like psychologically it makes sense. Although I try not to like overanalyze my kinks or desires because I feel like why, why do that to yourself? It's fine. Your, if you listen to the episode with Evian Whitney, she talks about how like the whole thing, like just because you enjoy it doesn't mean you want to do it, right? But in this case, I did want to do it. <laughs> did do it. I did do it. And I will tell you guys the secret. Ah, I can't believe that I'm doing this. Okay. So yeah, I disclosed that that is, that is my thing. And they were laughing at me, but it really is. It's like, I, before my intimacy with Evan, I never felt safe sleeping with men. And I'm very discerning about who I allow into my presence, if you know what I mean. But I was talking to Evan and I was like, hey, I think I want to do this. Like, I think I want to find a guy who's really tall and really like jacked and I want to make him cry. <laughs> and 
That's exactly what I did. And it was very therapeutic and very healing. I got the consent of both of my partners, obviously. And I did it. So I opened my Bumble up to everybody. And let me tell you, that experience was overwhelming. Not into that. Uh, immediately, I had so many likes that I, like, I couldn't even go, I couldn't go through it. It was overwhelming. And then the few dudes that I did like swipe back on, they were, they were gross, like unsolicited dick pics. Don't do that, dudes. I know that dudes don't listen to the podcast. This is for the gays and the theys and the she's and that's it. But anyway, so, (laughs) so I found this like gorgeous man. I mean, gorgeous. He was younger than I was. He was built. He was six foot three. Oh, beautiful, beautiful human. And I basically told him that like, I'm only interested in seeing him if he lets me be the boss and be mean to him. And he agreed. And that's exactly what I did. I think I'll spare you all the details, but let's just say that I was demanding and punishing And I've never felt so powerful in my life. It felt liberating, amazing. And I'm just so glad that I get to like explore this. So I would say like kinks wise, I'm definitely a switch. I'm nasty, dirty, freaky. I'll try almost anything. And it feels good to kind of be in this place and be in this space where I get to do that. All right. This girl says, how the fuck do I figure out who I am supposed to be at 35? Ooh, girl. Better now than never. I'm grateful that you're even asking the question. I think so many of us go our entire lives and end up on our deathbeds, living lives that were unfulfilled because we didn't ask ourselves two very important questions. And those questions are, who am I and what do I want for my life? I'm glad that you're asking this at 35 rather than 55. My mom and I talk about that all the time, about how she wishes she would have done it way before she was 49. And uh, she's 57 now. And so it took her eight years of really being in the work to reach the other side. And that's not to say that, you know, the time is a drag and it doesn't make it worth it. It absolutely does because it's better now than never. I will say that this is literally what we do in my life reset course, but I will give you a brief breakdown of what we do in said course and hopefully it'll steer you on the right path. So none of us really know who we are until we start doing this work. We might think we know who we are, but really we're just a product of the environment in which we were raised in And as a result of said environment, we develop belief systems about ourselves and about who we are in the world and about how the world is. So these subconscious belief systems develop in early childhood and they are, again, a a byproduct of the things that we saw and experienced and heard as young children. So if you heard all the time that money is hard to make, it's hard to get by blah, 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 you might have financial issues or constant stress about money, even if you are making money. If you saw your parents fighting a lot, it might affect your relationships. I mean, all of this is like pretty common sense. 
But it's not until we really look and in the course we use a table that really breaks down every area of your life. And we, we go back to our earliest memories and we think like, okay, here's the tape recorder that plays inside my head all day long. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. Nobody cares about me. Life is a struggle. What am I doing here? Why is it like this? Why am I suffering this much? Right? So we look at like any and all beliefs that we have or consistent patterns that show up in our lives in our relationships. And we go, okay, let's get to the origin of this. And then let's clear it all out. And then let's ask ourselves the two important questions. After we've done the clearing, let's ask ourselves these two questions. The questions are, who am I? And what do I want with my life? And once you get clear on those, then with the help of a coach or on your own, you can start implementing those ideals into your life. And the more that you do so, and the more that you become aware of your patterns, the more that you use your new tools uh, like emotional freedom technique, tapping, grounding exercises, meditation, reparenting work, nonviolent communication, learning how to set boundaries. These are all the things that I teach people to do every day. After you start doing that, life just starts getting easier. That's not to say that your circumstances necessarily change right away, but the way that you experience life gets easier because you're no longer operating with 35 years of shit piled up in your brain and in your memory and in your psyche. You've cleared all of that and you've gotten really clear on who you are. You're able to be more gentle and loving and kind towards yourself on your journey. And that is how you do it, girlfriend. I love this question. What was the most special part of your wedding day? Oh, hmm. I would say that, I mean, the whole thing was special. Evan and I eloped in Mexico. We only had a few family and friends join us. We didn't have a big party at the end of it because we didn't really have money, but we did have a dinner. And at this dinner, everybody uh, sat around the table and they gave speeches, you know, to wish us well. It, it was really small and intimate. And um, there was this one moment with my stepdad. We don't talk any longer. He's no longer my stepdad either. Uh, that's a story for another time, though. And mind you, like Evan and I barely knew each other when we got married. Um, But there was this moment uh, where my stepdad looked over at us and said to Evan, thank you. I know that my daughter is safe uh, in this relationship and I know that she's safe with you. And no truer words, because I was reflecting the other day about my life. And I was like, I probably would. And don't tell Evan, I told you this, but I probably, I love how I'm whispering right now. He's not even home. Um, don't tell Evan that I told you this. I probably wouldn't be alive if it weren't for him. And 
I know that I say all the time, like, don't give me credit. People email me and DM me all the time. They're like, I wouldn't be sober if it wasn't for you. It's like, no, don't give me that credit. It's all you. You did it. I'm so proud of you. I'm happy to be a part of your journey. But the truth is, I needed him to like light the way for me. You know what I mean? And he has just been such like a light in my life and has kept me sane, grounded, and safe. And we are so grateful. Okay. Oh, my best friend Gabby that I was talking about earlier wrote in and she goes, are you excited to get matching tattoos with your bestie this month? And the answer is an absolutely fucking, yeah. Yes. I'm very excited. Um, as you guys have seen, I'm kind of like on a tattoo binge right now and we are, we're living for it. Okay. This is a great question since we seem to be on the topic of (laughs) the divine feminine and sexuality. Someone asks, how do you get in touch with your sexy, seductive side? I feel so awkward. Explore your body, explore your body, be in your body, touch your body, feel your body. Notice what feels good to your body. Tune into what your desires are. Slow down. Try on lingerie just for yourself, not for anyone else. View yourself in the mirror. Begin to touch like every single crevice of your body. And maybe turn on some music that feels good to you while you're doing this. And the more that you're okay with you and the more that you can turn yourself on, the easier it is to be sexy in front of other people. Not that I'm some kind of a pro because I still feel like sometimes I'm a total fucking goof. (laughs) But I'm getting better, especially my first couple of encounters with women. I mean, like so fucking awkward, like so awkward. And now it's just like a walk in the park. It feels very comfortable. Uh, for me to do so. How do you continue to find happiness in life even on the bad days? Ooh, sometimes the bad days can be really fucking bad. But I've gotten to this place now where I can get myself to a space of neutrality. And in that neutrality, I'm able to find peace. It works like this. My day is seemingly falling apart. My life is maybe seemingly falling apart. I'm having anxiety. My nervous system's dysregulated. I'm feeling anxious. Things are going really poorly in my life. And so the first thing that I'm going to do is come to a place of acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. I'm actually going to read this for you guys because I feel like Everyone needs to hear this. I read this in, so in the Life Reset course, we have a group coaching call every Wednesday night. Those ladies are amazing. I read this the other night to someone who was really having a hard time and wanting to like hold on with all of her might to control the situation. And what I found in my life is the more that I try to control, (laughs) the more shit falls apart because Things are always going to happen the way that they are meant to be. And that's not to say that we don't have free will because we absolutely do have free will. The problem is when that free will is like self-will run riot. Does that make sense? Like when our ego is running the show and we're not being conscious 
of our actions. And so the first step for me is always acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way that it is supposed to be in this moment. I often want to play God. Like I often find myself wanting to be the director of the show and finding myself perpetually in a state of discomfort or anxiety when things are not going my way. And so I have to like check myself, you know, on a regular basis and remind myself that being in a place of surrender isn't making me powerless. It's actually allowing me to step into my higher level of consciousness and be more powerful. And I know that seems weird. You're like, how, how does that happen? It's kind of like the practice of non-attachment. When I'm not attached to the outcome and I show up and I just do the best that I can, everything goes easier. So the first step is acceptance, right? And the second is regulating my nervous system. I talked about this on stories the other day. I don't know if you guys saw it, but um, there are some new DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, techniques that I've been implementing in my life lately that have really helped for nervous system regulation. The first is probably the most uncomfortable. It honestly sucks, but it works immediately. I woke up in a panic attack and I grabbed a bowl of ice water and you fully submerge your face into the ice water and it sucks. Your immediate reaction is to suck in air because it feels like you're drowning. And for months I put off doing this because I was like, that sounds absolutely awful. It is awful. I'm not going to lie to you. It is awful, but it works and it works wonders and it works immediately. So you submerge your entire face into this bowl of ice water and you hold it there for eight seconds and I do it six to seven times and that really helps. The second thing is getting outside and getting my feet into the earth. That is huge, huge for me. It is literally like nature's Xanax and feeling either the cold wind on my skin or the warm sun on my back, just getting really present and recognizing where I am and what's going on allows me to really like calm down. And then, you know, then it's like my nervous system is regulated. I'm in a place of acceptance of what is. And now I can just do the next indicated action, right? And let go of the outcome. I think that we're so, I talk about this regularly, you guys, and it is the key to happiness is being okay, being unhappy sometimes, being okay with discomfort. Now, our natural state of being, in my opinion, should be bliss, should be happiness, should be joy. But you don't get there by denying your other emotions. Sometimes we're just going to have bad days and we can do our best to turn it around, but there are no guarantees that that is going to happen. And so we just, we do the best we can and we chalk it up sometimes to like, this is a really shitty day. And then we do some self-care at the end of the day, right? We take that bubble bath or that extra long shower, or we light those candles, or we read a good book and put our phones down, or we eat a delicious meal, whatever it might be. 
right? We indulge in a cookie and we just say, fuck it. It was a bad day. We'll try again tomorrow. I also want to add that like so much of me not having bad days is prevention, is routine, right? And and so few of us want to take those extra steps to better our lives, right? Working out, eating a little bit better, drinking some more water, doing a five minute meditation twice a day. All of these things really benefit my life and I'll, and they're free. And I'll, I'll preach them till <laughs> the day I die. Really. It's like, if you can get those pieces of your life in order and then your life is still shitty, then, you know, get into therapy, try meds, whatever it might be. But like, Work on the foundation first. Work on the foundation first, right? Meditation, journaling, eating a little bit better, drinking some more water, regulating your sleep-wake cycle, and getting out in nature and exercising. Those things will have dramatic impacts on your life. And I know it's not easy to start them. And I know it's not easy to be consistent, but those are the things that have really made the biggest difference in my life. Okay, last question. I think this was, this one is um, great. I, I'm not going to pretend to be some like sex expert, but this person uh, writes in and says, my husband and I aren't having sex. He's told me to stop keeping track when I bring it up. Help. First, go listen to the episode with Angel a couple of weeks back. I think that that will be really helpful. But I have taught you guys the three C's in nonviolent communication a bunch of times, but we're going to go over it again today. How I would have this dialogue with my husband. First of all, first of all, I'd get really clear on what I'm wanting and what I'm desiring, right? I think it's unrealistic to expect our partners to fulfill every single need for us. Some of us have higher sex drives than others and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But I guarantee you like communicating in a way that does not lead to your partner feeling empowered is not going to help the situation. So I think communication is like how we communicate is really, really important. So I would start by getting really clear on what you're desiring And I would go to your partner and before you even bring up the subject, I would first ask yourself, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. Is my partner hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If they are, now is not the time to have this conversation. Second step, make an appointment. Hey, honey, I would like to talk to you about some feelings, feelings, not what I think about. I want you to stay in your feelings. I would like to talk to you about some things I'm feeling regarding, insert the blank, okay? When would be convenient for us to have that conversation? I want to make sure that we're both in a good headspace and that we recognize that we're on the same team and that we're just trying to have the best outcome possible here, all right? That's the second step. Third step is this. I sense by the fact that... When I bring up our sex life, you tend to blah, 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 blah. That makes me feel, insert the blank. (laughs) How do you think we can find resolution to this? Okay, 
Now, listen, he's probably going to give you the same excuse. All right. He's probably going to just double down on his position. This is when you use the three C's. First C, confirm. You have every right to insert the blank. However, this is where you clarify. When you do, I feel, insert the blank. And then you're going to put the contract part, okay? What do you think about? And then whatever you're requesting, whether it might be couples counseling or a contract of a minimum amount of sex that you're desiring, all right? And then he has the opportunity to respond and you just shut your mouth and be quiet. Don't jump all over him. If he doubles down, then you finish with this. You just do these two C's. You have every right to continue to insert the blank. And then you put your contract, aka boundary. However, I'm going to insert the blank, right? Whatever it is. I'm going to need to start seeing a therapist so that way we can find resolve in this or I can find resolve in this because this is important to me and it's something that I'm desiring and that I need and my desires are valid. And that's how I would have that conversation. At that point, you have done everything you can to be respectful, to stay calm, and to be very clear about what your boundary is. And if this person is no longer willing to work with you on it, then it is your job to make a tough decision and set that boundary. I feel like this podcast episode was fucking amazing, honestly. (laughs) It was a really good one. Happy Monday, you guys. I hope you have an excellent rest of your week. We have some amazing guests coming up. And as always, please leave a review, share this episode with a few friends, and your support is greatly appreciated. Cheers to an amazing 2022. And I'm wishing you all nothing but love and great success for this year. This week's affirmation is I am open and receptive to all good in my life. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 